Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with serial entrepreneur and the CEO of Air Agility, Pramod Rahekou. He shed light on the world of autonomous drones, how Air Agility has solved some of the challenges with battery consumption and sensors, and he also delved into his fascination with aerospace at four years old and how it shaped his future today. Here's our conversation. Promote, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Larry. Excited to be here. So, Promote, what is Air Agility? Yeah, thank you for asking. Air Agility, we are heavily focused on AI and autonomy of unmanned systems. What does that mean exactly? That means that we put brains into robots and machines. In fact, our saying in, internally the company is intelligence by air agility, just like you see the uh, um, uh, Intel inside on your computer, on your PC, we wanna be the intelligence in robots around the world. Um, and so we work with both, you know, what most people know is drones, like flying machines. We work with ground robots, which you've probably seen on YouTube and on the internet, and also uh, unmanned, what we call maritime vehicles or, or boats or submarines that essentially are autonomous or AI driven and can, you know, operate without human intervention to a large extent. And eventually, our goal is to get into the space race as well and work with, you know, work with space robotics. So to wrap that all up, to sum that all up, it's all about artificial intelligence and making robots autonomous. That's very interesting. Um, I didn't know artificial intelligence uh, played a role in autonomous vehicles or drones. Could you talk a little bit more about the artificial intelligence part of that? Absolutely. So... If you think about us as humans, uh, we have a brain and we make decisions based on context, based on our history, based on what's what we have in our, you know, in our memories. And so what you're doing here with a robot is you're essentially doing the same thing. Of course, the robot's memory is much more limited. Um, and it's, it's also based on what you've trained it to do as well. So as an example, in our world at Air Agility, we, we work with public safety uh, type of organizations in, in search and rescue and disaster recovery type of missions. So an example of that might be a natural disaster has occurred and one of, a, a, you know, a drone is, is being sent into the building. We'll say it's a big building. Maybe it's a big convention center. People that are listening to this podcast probably have been to big conventions, say at the Washington Convention Center or the Moscone Center in San Francisco. They are a huge, huge, big uh, you know, buildings. And if you imagine, say, in San Francisco, which is very, you know, uh, plausible, an earthquake occurs, and now people are uh, unfortunately stuck inside or buried under rubble, but they're alive. We want the drones to be able to go in quickly um, and start assessing where the first responders should go and, and save lives. Because at those in those moments, you know, moments matter, minutes matter, seconds matter. And so an example might be a drone gets to a point we, you know, we, we have the proverbial fork in the road and it's, it's deciding whether to go left or right. And it decides that, hey, the path to the left is better because it's just easier to get through. It's not as, you know, maybe confined. Oh, but wait a minute. I, the robot, I, the drone, I, I see that there could be a human to the right. And I'm using my own sensors to figure that out. It could be a, a infrared type of sensor that senses body heat, you know, heat 
or it could be a visual camera, whatever that is. But instead of going left, which seems to be the better path, it decides to go right because it sees somebody that it could possibly save. So that would be an example of artificial intelligence, that it has the intelligence to say, I think there's somebody alive over to the right versus the left. So I'm going to go there and I'm not going to worry about myself getting hurt because I'm a robot and I'd rather save lives and not worry about myself. Okay, that sounds that sounds great. Could you talk a little bit about of how you manufacture your uh, autonomous vehicles? Yeah, absolutely. So we we live in a world now where manufacturing has advanced quite a bit, um, and what, a term that sticks out that some people on this call may know or not know on this podcast is is additive. It's called additive manufacturing. And what does that mean? That just means that you're you're using different manufacturing methods to be very versatile and flexible in how you create things. So 3D printing is a common term that everybody's probably heard of. And so we actually utilize 3D printing quite a bit to create what we do. And the reason that we really like 3D printing is that in traditional manufacturing, you have to lock in a design and then start making those parts or vehicles or what have you. With 3D printing, you can you can really be flexible in how you do that. So for example, if on Monday I decide that I'm going to um, create a part and we're going to put it on our vehicle and we're going to test it out. But then on Wednesday we say, well, gee, that didn't work very good. Let's, let's modify that and try again. We could quickly print something up and modify that and, and do it again. And then in the field, um, you know, if you think about real life scenarios and say uh, on a military battlefield or even in a medical situation where you might need to replace a part on a machine, you could do that. Um, I'm watching a TV show called um, uh, Mars right now, which is on Netflix, and it's a great show. And I've only watched two episodes, but it's it's really centers around a mission to Mars and the crew in in the in the episodes. I won't give anything away, but they are 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 you know they have been perplexed with an engineering problem that they have to solve, and they say they go try to solve it so that they could save their own lives. And one of the engineers, one of the astronauts, says to the other astronaut, "Well, if we had a three D printer here, we could we could print this part and fix this problem." So that's an example of three D printing at its best. You know, being in the field and being able to do something on the fly. So even in our world at Airgility, where we do a lot of design of new vehicles and prototyping and testing, we're able to do it very quickly, very, very quickly. And that that's the difference between say traditional manufacturing and how we do things with 3D printing. So we 3D, we 3D print our drones to answer your question. I, you know, I, I really like the sound of that and using 3D printing. It sounds very efficient. I like how you can build on the fly and test on the fly um, rather than the traditional way, right? Of uh, having to put an order in and wait a couple of days for it to come. 3D printing alleviates all of that, and you can do it right there there on the spot. That sounds pretty cool. I I really do like the sound of that. Um, Some of the common uses of drones are food delivery, reconnaissance, intelligence, agriculture, architecture, et cetera. What is Airgility's role role in business? Yeah, absolutely. So we focus on um, really providing the best situational awareness in many different situations. So let me give you an example of that. Uh, one, I already kind of said earlier in the in our in our recording here with regards to you know going into a search and rescue or, dis- or disaster recovery situation. Well, if you imagine, uh, if you if you go back to that example and you think about, well, how does the drone fly around inside the building without a GPS signal? Um, we are our, our on our business side. We are focused on 
GPS denied navigation. What that means is that the drone has its own ability to see and avoid and navigate without, or without any dependence on anything external. And how we do that is we, we have our own proprietary blend of sensor and algorithm fusion. Sensors that are on the vehicle itself that allow it to see and avoid and give itself a spatial awareness. And then the second piece of that is the algorithm fusion or the AI where it's, it's actually making decisions and collecting data on the edge. The, the term for that industry term is edge processing. Okay. essentially tactical edge processing or doing it right there on the edge. And why that's advantageous from a business perspective uh, is that in most cases, how that's being done now is either you're downloading data, uh, you know, say on an SD card, which is everybody knows how to do that, right? Or you're pushing something to the clouds. And the reason you would do that is so you don't take too much computational power on the machine, because if you're flying a drone and you start taking computational power to make these decisions and, and collect this data and, and to make a real-time decision, you're using battery power, which means you can't stay in the air very long. Um, so we've figured out a way with our algorithms to turn on and off these, these you know, this brain power, I'll call it, and, um, and, and make it more, very more efficient so you can get that information real time. That's, and that's, that's the business case right there. That's, that's pretty smart. I, I like that as well. Um, many would consider drones a disruptive technology um, drones can deliver medical supplies to remote locations and disaster sites. They can assist with the study and improvement of farming. How would you describe the technology? Yeah, um, so all of the above. <laughs> um, you know, in, in, in our case, um, you know, what I just described to you could be implemented in any of those situations. Uh, for us, I think we're, you know, our business use case is really around real-time critical mission thinking, right? So, so in some cases, use cases, getting the data fast may not be a big deal. You may not need it, right? You may not care. It's okay if you get it 12 hours later or four hours later, because you're doing some sort of post-assessment. In the case of public safety, um, special operations, uh, potentially you know, law enforcement situations, um, getting that data real time or even military intelligence situations, getting that data real time becomes a lot more important because you need to make a decision within minutes uh, in many cases. That's where, that's where we play a really big role. And that's, that's where we you know, can, can really affect change. Not to mention, you, you know, going back to your uh, question about how we build our drones, Building the drones that we do in a 3D printed manner actually drives down the cost as well. So we're able to go into hazardous situations and hotspots, as what we like to call them, where, you know, whether it's, um, you know, we talk about COVID, which is real time right now and going sending a drone into, you know, disinfecting type thing, which we're actually working on, or whether it's into a situation where it's dangerous and you might lose the drone. Ours are, ours are built, uh, you know, one of our value propositions is that it's, they're built inexpensively enough that it's okay if you lose the drone. There are many mission vehicles out there nowadays that are very, very expensive that, you know, the operator really thinks long and hard before sending in. And our belief is you shouldn't have to do that. If you're trying to save human lives, you should be able to send a machine in and sacrifice the machine, not the human. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, well, well said, well put. Um, although drones are disruptive for the good, it doesn't go without saying that they don't have challenges. You kind of mentioned this earlier, um, battery life, imperfect sensors, yep. GPS accuracy. What is your response to that? 
Uh, yeah, I would say you are absolutely spot on with that. And, 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 you know, when you, I'm, you know, wrapping in all of the things you just asked me, the business use case that we're going after, or really are focused on, or would we have the real capability are those, are those essentially the shortcomings, right? So batteries are what they are. You, 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 you can only get so much out of a current battery, you know, uh, those are being approved and those technologies will certainly approve over time, but right. They're not necessarily right around the corner either. There there's, you know, there'll be some more R and D that has to go into the batteries. And then out, outside of that, yeah, we're focused on, you know, Hey, how do you fly this drone around anywhere? You know, how do you go into GPS denied environments or fly with GPS? The other thing that, that you, you know, you mentioned shortcomings is GPS is also not just inaccurate in many cases, but also hackable. So um, you have to be, you know, so we're, we've created everything that's on the drone. So you can't even really hack into it, but, um, you know, in terms of like um, taking it over because you're not necessarily on a certain frequency that everybody else can just jump on. So there's a lot of, from a security perspective, a lot of advantages to do it the way that we're doing it. How did you get into autonomous vehicles? Um, sure. So that's a, you know interesting story. So my background is in aerospace and aviation. Um, in fact, um, interestingly enough, um, I have on a complete side tangent, uh, I've been moving my parents from their house of 40 plus years into a downsizing them into a condo and, you know, where it's easier, no staircase and, and a much better living environment for them, not having to take care of a yard and all that sort of thing. And as we were cleaning out all of our stuff, I found some things of mine from like sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And they were, they were basically uh, papers on aircraft design. I have little drawings of when I was in fourth or fifth grade showing a helicopter rescuing somebody. Um, So I think the heritage for me and my partner, my co-founder goes back to when we were kids, Uh, you know, myself being an aerospace nut, having spaceships and aircraft all over my walls as a kid. And for my partner, he was flying RC aircraft with his dad since he was five years old. So we both of us have this big aerospace aeronautical sort of background. We both became aerospace engineers. Um, he kind of went into the academic world and I became a, a manned pilot and, and, and in the commercial aviation and have thousands of hours of flying about 30 different aircraft and um, also became a serial entrepreneur along the way. And a few years ago, um, one of our... Um, uh, friends who's was the entrepreneur in residence at the University of Maryland, where we're alma maters, where that's our alma mater, introduced us and said, um, you know, to you know, my co-founder Ivandra, you have some interesting intellectual property. Promote your uh, entrepreneur and a CEO. You guys and you're, 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 you have an aerospace heritage. You guys should talk and maybe start something together. So we met and about four months, three, four months later, started Airgility. And that was in 2017. So just about three years ago. And that's how I got into it. And I immediately from day one embraced it, just you know, being very passionate about how emerging aerospace is going to change the world. And to go back again real quick in time, I was born during the Apollo era. And um, which was exciting as a kid kind of growing up. And then I grew up during the space shuttle era. And when I graduated from college, nothing was happening in aerospace. Nobody was hiring. Um, in fact, many of my aerospace friends went into IT and now are VP of, you know, vice presidents at, you know, in Accenture and places like that doing nothing with aerospace. And um, they're sort of envious now that I am. <laughs> and, and so um, you know, for me, it, it's, a, it's really a nice full circle to, to take my entrepreneurship career, entrepreneurial career into, you know, fully back into a passion that I've loved since I was a kid. So starting around 2015 or so, 
14, 15, uh, the aerospace economy started to you know, start up again. And now we are in the midst of it and it's going to go on for many years. So it's very exciting to see what's happening in both manned aviation, unmanned aviation, and also uh, with space as well. That's, that's a great story. What really stood out to me, you know, going back to the beginning when you said this kind of started out when you were a kid, the drawings in your bedroom at the age of three or four, man, and for you to be able to carry that dream and still be interested into aerospace and, uh, you know, the field that you're in now um, into adulthood, that's really impressive. A lot of kids, uh, you, you know how that changes. I think I wanted to be what, an actor when I was a kid <laughs> and I'm far from that now. So that's, it, it just, I guess what I'm trying to say is that says, says a lot and you, you stuck with it and are obviously very successful. So congratulations with you. Yeah, that's a, that's, but that's a great story, man. Really great story. Um, so on behalf of MIT Enterprise Forum, we're strong advocates for the entrepreneurial and startup community. I think you're a great example of turning an idea into a successful company. What do you do to learn and stay on top of things? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to circle back on what you just said, yeah, absolutely. There was an intentionality, I think, around wanting to be an aerospace executive because I've, I love technology. I've been a futurist ever since I was a kid, but I really love business. So being able to combine you know, the sales and all that together into a role is, has been really gratifying to me and, and really for me a dream you know, in terms of what I'm doing. I don't think any day, every day is different and every day is exciting. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the technology piece of it is it's very inter interdisciplinary. You're talking about material science, aerospace engineering, mechanical engineering, computer science, computer engineering, electrical engineering, AI, robotics, all rolled into what we do in our company. Yeah. Um, so how, so then segueing to your question now, how do I, how do I keep track of all that? Um, I do a lot of reading and a lot of podcasts and a lot of, um, you know, viewing. We live in an age now where you know, you can learn anything you want. I feel, you know, I feel so grateful that I can at my fingertips on my laptop, I could, I can learn anything I want, you know, on Google, on, you know, places like Coursera or Udemy, all these, there's a lot of, there's so many different sites these days that I can take a class on anything or get a book. I, you know, buying a book and having it delivered to me the next day is one touch as we I all know. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I, I just spend a lot of time, you know, reading, subscribe to a lot of newsletters. Um, I'm constantly just learning. And I think that's really the secret to, you know, being successful and staying on top of this is just, you know, because technology changes so fast. It's okay. so rapid that, you know, what we do today could be outdated tomorrow. So you really have to stay on top of it. And for me, it's just a passion. So it's not that hard. Yeah, thank you for that. I think that's really valuable feedback for our listeners um so here comes the fun part of um the conversation it's a game i like to play it's called word association i might say day you might say night that sort of thing um you might hear something that might be not, might not be the obvious out of the ordinary so that's that's just to keep things fresh um does it sound good to you make sense yeah, absolutely. I've done psychology profiles like this. So let's see what the uh, psychology profile comes back with. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Okay. So the first word is risk. Um, chance. Efficiency. Intelligence. Future. Exciting. Whiskey. Happy hour. 
<laughs> Flight. Fun. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that definitely speaks to you, man. It, it absolutely <laughs> does. Well, Promote, I appreciate you for joining us today. Um, this was very insightful, and thank you for your time. And thank you for reminding me of whiskey. That's what I'm going to go do now. It's Friday. It's happy hour. I appreciate Larry. It was a lot of fun. For this episode and other podcasts, please follow MITEFDC Cutting Edge on LinkedIn and Spotify.